Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to the Dreamer Diary podcast. Uh, it's Chris just talking to you again about something that's really interesting, something that's very important to us all, and that's, you know, home ownership. How do we build wealth when, you know, as a DACA person, as a dreamer, you don't have a whole lot of wealth growing up. So one of the things that's really important, especially as we go into talking about the future, is real estate. And so one of the things that I really wanted to do was bring somebody on who understands the nuances of what it's like to buy a home and who is also, you know, who or somebody who was a DACA recipient. And so in thinking about who could I bring on to my podcast, who could speak to the nuances of what it's like to be a dreamer student or a dreamer in, ge- in general, but also has this background in real estate and understands the market today. I couldn't think of anybody better than one of my good friends, Y, and he is actually one of the leading real estate agents in the Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City Valley. He has been working with the Hispanic community as well as the non-Hispanic community for I think the past five years, if not more. So he definitely has a, a lot of knowledge and background in terms of just what it takes to buy a home in general, but more specifically what us streamers DACA recipients really care about in order to get into our first home. So I'd like to introduce my friend Y. Feel free to to introduce yourself. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on this episode, Chris. It's it's an honor, and I think it's really cool that there is a a show out there for for all of us who, you know, growing up, DACA, they say, you know, you grow up in the shadows, but I love that now it's it's a thing and more people know about that guy and that in general it's so cool to know just to hear these stories and to be like oh that's what's up like i'm so proud of that daca homie or sister or brother of mine who is out there grinding and doing it um a little bit about my story i'll, I'll start from the beginning i am originally from ciudad mexico um i was born there and then at the age of six moved up to the u.s uh, I crossed the border. That could be another story for another day. But <laughs> um, at six years old, I remember the details of just that experience alone, right? And my mom telling me, hey, we're going to go away for a little bit. We're going to come back. I didn't know I was going away forever, right? Wow. That, that experience that we're leaving everything behind. We're leaving la familia, the cultural experiences, and we're going to a new place. Um, we went from metropolis to rural town of Brigham City, Utah. That is where I grew up. And um, uh, to answer your question, I mean, for the most part, childhood was pretty normal, right? It wasn't, I, I at least for, for myself, speaking for myself, I didn't really know I was undocumented until high school came and the whole driver license thing came up. Interesting. So for, um, so for you, it was the driver's license situation. It was. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. And, you know, my whole life, um, I I could kind of tell that there was maybe a struggle with my parents because they were always working in restaurants or just different jobs from the jobs that I would see my parents have. Um, but they never mentioned anything. There was always food on the table, clothes on my back, you know, roof over my head. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a time when, you know, I, I got the, I did the full driver's thing and was at the DMV and I'm filling out the paperwork 
and I asked my mom, right, like, hey, so what's my social security? I actually have never even bothered to ask about this. And there was like a little, little piece of me in there that I'm like, man, I hope she's like, oh yeah, here it is. Yeah. But that was not the case. She was like, oh, me tengo que hablar de algo. You know, you actually don't have a social security. And for those of you who are not from Utah, Utah does give you license, even if you don't have um, a residency or citizenship. It's called the driver's privilege card. And um, that's what I ended up having to roll with. And I remember getting my license, but my license had a big fat P with red on it. I don't know if you remember these, Chris. Oh, yeah. Oh, one. for sure. But I felt like a loser because all of my other friends got regular licenses and mine had this like P stamped on it, identifying me as someone who's privileged to even get a license. Obviously, in school, when, I, when this came about to me, I didn't tell anyone. I kept it to myself. And all my friends would ask, why, why do you have a P on your license? I would just tell them, oh, it's because I'm an international student. You know, you know I'm from Mexico. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a hybrid thing. Uh, little did they know that, and I mean, they really were never going to know that I was undocumented because I wasn't going to share that with someone who wasn't going to understand Interesting. You know, you know, it's so interesting because a lot of people and those that are listening to my podcast are both undocumented and citizen documented individuals. And I don't think for those that are citizens or documented individuals who never got the privilege of experiencing a restricted driver's license, you, you can't really use it to do a lot of things. I, I know early on when they introduced it, a lot of places weren't taking it as a valid form of ID. Uh, if you went to Las Vegas or you went to Wendover, Nevada to to hit the slot machines or something, they wouldn't take your your that that ID for a while, and it was tough for people because it was like you're asking me for a photo ID, I'm presenting it to you. It's issued by the state of Utah, although it does have a a stamp on it. You're telling me it's not valid, and I, this was an experience that I heard from countless individuals. Is this something that you experienced too, like in the in the circumstances? Um, whenever you had to present the card? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's only for driving. That's it. It doesn't get you any form of proper government identification. It just helps you drive. And, and the worst thing is you're kind of scared because you know why you have this pee. And if you're driving and you get pulled over, you kind of are like, oh, man, is it about to go down, right? It's, am I going to get judged because this ID strictly already tells government officials this guy doesn't have yeah. status in this country. So you're always at the back of your mind, you're always just looking at that rearview mirror like, okay, I got to be extra careful because you grow up with the fear of being deported, right? Um, another story I have that really confirmed I did not have my business besides my driver's license is, you know, it's high school and I think it was a sophomore or junior at this time. And my buddies and I, you know, we're like, we need to find a summer job so we can make some good money. So we would go to the, the workforce department here in Utah. And I, I, I told my dad the night before, hey, I'm going to go with my buddies. I'm going to try and get, look for a job. 
um, can I have my social security or just whatever it is that I need that they ask me. I remember him just saying, see me, homie, this is, this card's for you and this is your number. This is what you're going to use. It wasn't, it wasn't like, hey, yeah, here's, this is yours, you know, be careful with it. It was very much kind of just a little shady, but he was like, mira, when you apply, just use his number. This is the card that asks you any questions. And so we go to the workforce department. I fill out an application. All of my friends do. And the lady asks, like, oh, yeah, let's, let's get your application going. Let me, let me look you up through your social security. And I remember I gave her the social security that I was given. And she, she, she types it in, and then she looks up above the computer, and she's just like, uh, are you sure this is yours? Because I'm showing this is of, of a lady who is deceased. No and way. I was like, I was like, yeah, no, like, double check it, you know, like maybe you mistyped her number. And no, sure enough, it was someone else's social security who had been deceased, and you know, my, I just played it off. I was like, oh, that's weird. Maybe my dad gave me the wrong number. But deep down inside, I was like, okay, this is it. This is it. Like, wow. I, I am part of of the the legit story. I don't have up in this. And now I know I can't get a work, like you know, like a job with a social security. Yeah. I'm gonna have to find under the table jobs. Wow. Or that's... work with this social, right? Which is I yeah. can go to places that do that verify those social security. That... I I was like, okay, dang, I'm in high school. This is crazy. I can't believe this is gonna be my life. You know, it's so crazy because. My so for me, I don't know if I ever told you why how I found out I didn't have papers. I, I definitely talked about it in a in a different podcast episode, but for me, I didn't find out until high school as well. But for me, it was my English teacher. So senior year, my English teacher was like, "Okay, class, if you guys want to get your final grade to graduate, you need to present proof that you supplied supplied <laughs> you applied for financial aid for for college because he really wanted us all to go to school." And I was yeah. like, okay, cool. So I did that, right? And in the application, it asked your citizenship status. And my, I, I don't know if your parents were the same way, but for me, my parents always taught me, like, you know, don't think you're less, you know, don't think that you're any less than than anybody else. Like your your value as a human being is equal to your peers. And if anybody ever asks, you know, say that you're from here. eres ciudadano, que you know, eres gringo, eres americano. Nobody's ever going to question it, right? So. For me, growing up as a kid, you know, and being told, you know, I knew I was from Mexico because I saw pictures of me as a baby in Mexico. But my mom would always just say, no, just say you're a citizen. But you never think about that, right? Like the process of becoming that. As a kid, you, you don't care. You don't care to be like, oh, did I, did I go to, did we get a, a lawyer? And then did I go to immigration court? Did I get swear, sworn in? Like nothing, right? You don't ask these questions yeah. when you're a kid. So for me, I never thought of it like, that way. And so, yeah, I put, yeah, citizen. I send the application in virtually, right? And about yeah. two weeks later pass, and I get an email response from uh, financial aid. And it basically said that there was, they couldn't process my application because there was an error with my with my citizenship status. I was like, that's weird. And so one thing that's interesting as well is, so the social security number that I have, I was given when my parents tried to fix their papers like in the 90s. And I guess in the early 90s, it used to be common practice that if a non-resident alien was changing their status, um, they could apply for a social security number. And they would get 
a social security number with a social security card that said not valid for for work authorization um, or something like that it you know it basically it was your number but you couldn't use it anywhere and so I had that number it was mine and so that was the number that I put so it wasn't like I was like falsifying information or anything like that I just always thought I was a citizen and so when they come back and like no no it is you know I go to my parents I'm like yo mom like what's going on here am I not a citizen or am I and that's you know cuando salió la sopa you know it's like they tell me exactly what what happened and how I was brought over and then the reality of my situation at 18 years old really hit me you know which was like I couldn't go I couldn't go get a job I couldn't go to college because I had no money saved up you know I had I I couldn't get the job that I wanted and so you you very quickly I think when that moment hits you that you're a non-citizen the realization of the struggle I think becomes real like if I want to do anything with my life I'm going to have to work twice as hard as my peers because I don't have any money I don't have any way to 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 get me to where I want to be so if I want to get there I got to bust my butt you know and so it's so crazy to hear that your story was kind of similar in in the sense that like you had a moment where it like was like a realization that dang this is this is real like this is this is my future so what's interesting about that too is is I've spoken to a lot of undocumented you know young people one of the struggles that a lot of them share is the fact that when they find out that they're a non-citizen or that they're ineligible for opportunities traditional opportunities I'll label it that way a lot of them start getting they go into like bouts of depression they go into bouts of like drug use or going down the a different path so when you had your moment of like wow like this is my future how are you able to avoid falling into the trap that a lot of young people fall into who are dreamers yeah that's a great question you know when i found out i remember going back to my dad and just kind of like you did just having that confrontational conversation like hey que esta pasando i, I mean i got a p on my license card i went to apply for a job and i can't get the traditional job right and that's when they told me, like, yeah, mijo, you know, um, we obviously moved here to give you guys a better life, pero no tenemos papeles. And I, luckily, I mean, I, if my situation wasn't, I didn't go into depression or anything because I had seen my family surviving, right? So for me, it was like, okay, well, it's not the end of the world. My, my parents were still working. They're still making money. My deals are doing the same. So... It looks like I'm just going to have to become resourceful or, I don't know, figure it out. But because I was in high school, I kind of was just like, I'll worry about that later. You know, I'm going to enjoy my high school because it was stressful to think about. Like, yeah. What's going to happen with my life? So that's probably how I handled the situation. I kind of just put it back underneath the rug and focus back on high school, soccer, friends, um, just waiting to, to graduate, really. Um, but it was probably my senior year that I really started thinking more about my future. And um, I was like, man, okay. You know, I had seen all my friends, all my peers. They're, they're, they're applying in the colleges, the Charonganas. They're getting all these scholarships. And I just remember, that at least where I grew up, I, I didn't have very many resources. I didn't have a counselor that was like, hey, you're Latino. Let me, like, what's your story? You know, are you undocumented? Are you not? 
fíjate que there's these scholarships for you or this is how you're going to apply for these colleges. Um, it was very much on my own and part of it was my fault because I didn't ask. But at the same time, I was afraid to ask because I didn't want to get judged or I didn't want, you know, when you're a kid and the whole immigration thing comes up, you don't know who to trust. You don't yeah. know who you can open up to, who you can talk to. I remember applying at Weber and being super scared because I didn't have papeles and at that time Weber was like, okay, you're classified as, I don't know, it was like HB something. Yeah, uh, HB 144. Right, that. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And they're like, yeah, va a ser X más financially because you're, you're, we're pretty much going to charge as an international student even though you've lived here your whole life in Utah and yeah. it's Honestly, I, I, I just remember, um, you know, my biggest dream, and I, I don't really share this with a lot of people, but I really wanted to become a Green Beret in the Army. That's what I wanted to aspire to. And I remember my mom got me, like, cortinas and Army pattern and blankets, and I really wanted to join the Army, but I never did and never looked into it because I was afraid of being judged or just, like, I had heard so many stories that, okay, if you join the Army, eventually you can get papeles. And a lot of the times we know that those who have joined the Army and don't have papeles, they get deported after their service. Yeah. There's both stories. And so I was like, okay, well, that's out the window. And um, there were so many things that I was thinking about. But one, one big thing I did think about also just my senior year was my spirituality. Um, and that's another story for another day. But yeah. I ended up... I ended up just um, finding what spiritual um, foundation I needed most in my life. My senior year, I ended up um, getting baptized as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A year later, decided to go on a mission. Why? Because part of me was like, I don't know what I'm going to do as far as college or job. So you know what? Me voy como misionero. Learned a few spiritual things. And I, re I remember... I finished my mission 2012, and anybody who's, who's a DACA recipient or a dreamer remembers that year very well. Yeah, it, June it's like historic year, for us, yeah. June of that year, President Barack Obama finally gave us hope. Yeah. He, he got, somehow he, had, he learned the story, and I, I just, I remember I cried. I cried when I saw the, the headlines that, hey, there's going to be this program for these kids who didn't have a choice but were brought here and who really consider themselves Americans, this program's called DACA. Yeah. And I just remember, I remember crying and just feeling so grateful, like, oh my gosh, there's hope. I'm actually going to be able to get into the workforce and, and try things out. You know, that, I remember my, like, I remember when I heard about that too. For me, at that point in my life, I had just gotten married to, to my wife and I was probably less than a year married. And it was hard because I had just gone home, gotten home from my mission probably less than a year. And for me, I got married six months, no, 10 months after I came home. And my wife was working three jobs while I was sitting at home trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to do with my life and how I'm going to now support a spouse. Luckily, she was willing to kind of go through through the fire with me, you know. 
but I just remember how hard it was at that time of figuring out what am I going to do? Like, where am I going to go? What's my future going to look like? I have no money. I can't go to school. Like all these just things that, that, you know, I couldn't help but think about. I thought about all the time. And a friend of mine was able to get me a job with a catering company uh, doing washing dishes, basically. I was a dishwasher. And that day, <clears throat> I remember we were, I was washing dishes. And I was listening to, like, you know, the, the, I think it was like NPR or something like that. And they, they cut the, the broadcast to bring the, the announcement that President Obama was going to announce DACA. And when he said it, you know, I'm over here washing the dishes and I'm like fighting to contain my emotions because for the first time ever, something felt real. Something, like you said, that hope actually felt like it was going to actually happen. Like something could for the first time in my life be tangible. And so when when the announcement was made and they returned back to, to the announcement, I went down to the basement of the catering place and went into the bathroom, got on my knees and I just cried. And I cried because for the first time ever did I feel like I had hope for a future that for the longest time seemed unattainable. And I cried, man, and I just I just I just felt like, you know what, like God is good. God's there. He's listening to, the, you know, not just my prayers, but the prayers of the millions of other undocumented young people. And I, and at that moment, I resolved within myself. I said, you know what, if, if this does come to be something, and if I'm ever able to do anything more with the opportunity to become an American, I'm going to go and do everything I can. If I can get, you know, the highest level of education I can get, I'm going to go pursue that because to me, I just thought that that was my way of giving back to the place that I called home. I don't know if you felt the same way in terms of just this, you know, inspiration to do more. Was that something that like you kind of felt as well? Yeah, absolutely. I just uh, was overcome with gratitude and I just, I was like, for me, it was, you know what, esta es la puerta. Yeah. Right? My parents, my parents have sacrificed so much. This is like I don't have an excuse to fail. Right? I have to be. I have to make all of my parents' sacrifices worth it. And I like. This is the universe. This is God opening up the doors for all of us. To and I just, I just, it was just amazing, dude. Because not very many knew my story, and I did have other friends. Uh, that I had met throughout that mission that I knew they, they had the same story. But no one really understood what we were going through besides those people, right? And for a, pre a president of the U.S. To, to understand that, that's a tender mercy, man. Oh, for sure. And, and, and right when I came home, I had come home from my mission, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Um, it was just empowering. And like you said, it was like, okay, sabes que ahora voy a echarle ganas. Yeah. And I remember, I remember um, at that time I was just doing a bunch of small jobs, right? Just trying to make enough money. I ended up having to sell my car my first semester because I needed the money for my tuition. Entonces, yo estaba en bicicleta all over Salt Lake City. <laughs> going, going to school, 
um, I remember those days, bro. I, I, I was surviving off of like one meal a day. Mm-hmm. Yogurt, banana, and a bologna sandwich. Es todo lo que me tocaba to just, to just reduce my expenses because I really didn't have money. And the money I was making, it was from a bunch of small jobs. And when, when DACA happened, I remember, I remember I didn't even have $500, bro, to even get that freaking application submitted. Yeah, same um, here. I had, a, I had a friend of mine who helped me out, and, and then I got my DACA, went and got a job at Wells Fargo, and dude, I was like, I can't believe it. I have a legit job. I'm, I'm starting to make some good money, right? It was just a sense of, of peace and comfort, like everything's going to be okay from here on out, right? And, mm-hmm. and um, I kept, I just, you know, eventually I got married. I kept having different jobs because now that I had this opportunity, I was now trying to find my calling. My calling as, you know, what did I need to do career-wise? Because I didn't want to just have the social security and be doing a job that I wasn't happy or being fulfilled. Like, that was not enough for me. For me, it was like, okay, tengo mis papeles. Like, what is it that I'm meant to do? And, um, and then eventually I, I fell into real estate. Yeah, well, I know that when you and I first met, we were attending a banquet for the Educational Opportunities for Utah's Children, or EdOps for short. That's right. And it was interesting because I, I, I had been a part of the EdOps organization <clears throat> for many years prior to our, our meeting, to get meeting up. And I just remember... When, when we first met at that banquet, I was like, man, this guy's interesting. And I think at that point, you were still going to school. And so, yes. so did you finish school or did you decide that, you know, you, your life's going to take you down a different path that eventually took you to real estate? What, what was that process like? There's, there's, two, there's two folds to that story. One, um, one was I had gone to a business school. And I really learned about entrepreneurship and tapped into that. And I really loved business. And that that was a good awakening for me because I knew that was the path I wanted to go. Traditionally, I wanted to become a doctor because that's what made the most money and that's what was going to provide for me, right? So I was on that path of becoming someone successful like that um, to just make a lot of money. Um, but during that time, when I received the scholarship, um, what happened was I got married. And I remember when I got married, the last thing I wanted to do was go to school, if I'm being honest. Right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like, man, I should be like in honeymoon phase. What am I going to school for? I should be enjoying this time. So part of my story is I ran out of funds, if I'm being honest. Um, and... And then the other part was, I just, I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to pursue education anymore. I kind of have learned about entrepreneurship and business to a point where I feel like I can go this route as well, right? Um, Because I was, at the end of the day, I was just trying to find my calling. What made me happy? Like, where my heart was trying to lead me to. Um, And so eventually, I stopped going to school. And I just started getting a bunch of jobs where I got them without any degrees. So that was like my other thing for me where I was like, man, like, is it really who you know that gets you into these places? Because I was working for Salt Lake Community College as a year of counselor. 
without any any degree in education, right? Yeah. I went and worked for a company in social media marketing without any marketing bachelor's degree. And I, I was doing all these things to tap into what I really wanted to do. And it was during that time when I was working as, as a marketing representative in social media for the company that I was buying my first house. And that is when, I, it was probably one of my lowest points in my life career-wise because I was not happy or fulfilled with what I was doing. I loved social media marketing. I just didn't like where I was doing it at. For a marketing team, we, were, we weren't super fun. It just wasn't filling my cup of happiness. Yeah. And that's what, it was at that time that I was like, you know what, I think I'm, I'm leaving corporate America for good. Like, I'm done. I'm done just trying to give it a shot. At that time, I was like, maybe I'll go join the National Guard and, you know, finish my schooling through there and, you know, find a career. I was lost. And our agent, who happens to be a really good friend of ours, at that time, I was thinking, you know what, I'm going to start my food truck. Because I love the food business. And uh, I love boba tea. Oh, I love it too. I love, <laughs> I love eating boba tea, right? You don't really see a Latino selling boba tea. Uh-uh. I should I should have been thinking raspado. Yeah, some horchata boba tea or something. <laughs> and I was like, man, why is there not a boba tea? Yeah. Right? Like, you park at the events, you give you, you people some drinks. I was going to call my, my truck the Black Pearl. Y le iba a poner una perla negra grandota arriba. Nice. <laughs> uh, I was ready. I was ready to go. Yeah. I even I even went to a Vietnamese restaurant so I could learn how to freaking perfect the boba tea. No más que no me dieron el trabajo. I don't know why I, they had a hiring job uh-huh. on the door, and I was like, "Hey, I noticed you're hiring. I'm, I'm interested." And she's like, "We're actually not hiring anymore." I think she might have wanted uh, like Asian, uh, someone who who understood more of the community, right? Yeah. But everything happens for a reason, and when we're buying a house and we're getting our earnest money turned in, my, my agent comes to my job and I give her the check. She's like, dude, like, you look miserable, right? Like, you don't look happy, is everything okay? And that's what I told her about my idea of starting the food truck. She's like, hey, let's go get some lunch, and we'll talk some more. And we went and got some lunch, and finally she's like, look, dude, I know you want to start a business. I don't think food truck is the greatest idea. Um, why don't we become? Why don't you become a realtor? She's like, you are Britain's people. You're Latino. You're bilingual. Uh, you have great energy, and it's it's a business, right? But this business is low risk, high reward. Meaning, you don't really put a lot of money into it, but your reward can be very high. And for the first time in my life, the light bulb went on. And I was like, she's right. Wow. Why have I not been doing real estate this whole freaking time? And um, I got my license. Within my, I got my schooling done within two and a half weeks. I cranked it out, went and got my exams done. And that is when I entered the door of real estate. And it was actually five years ago, two days ago, February 17, 2017. Was when, when I no way! Wow, that's that's impressive. I mean, first off, congrats for having you know. I think the clarity within yourself to recognize what you really wanted. First off, because I think a lot of people are still trying to find 
that inner that inner conversation within themselves to figure out what they want to do. So the fact that you found that, man, congrats on that. And the fact that you've reached five years, like that's just so cool, man. It's And it's exemplary because not only does it demonstrate what is possible when you really kind of, you know, really put yourself to work, but also have the patience within yourself to realize that life might take you down a different path, right? Because I don't think, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that, like growing up you were like i'm gonna be a realtor one day like that's what i want to be like yeah i and so if that's the case you know the fact that you're able to kind of recognize this i think that is just exemplary again to what is possible but within that you were still a docker recipient so you still had docker i assume and um and so with having daca what were some of the challenges that you experienced trying to get into that industry because obviously you're talking about people's finances there's a lot of uh secret well not secrecy but a lot of personal information that is shared between you know client and realtor so what were some challenges that you had to overcome as you were trying to get into this industry great question i would say my biggest challenge was passing the freaking real estate exam um, I am not good with tests. Um, that's probably why I didn't continue with schooling. I was like, ah, they just intimidate me. I'm not good. For me, it was like, I know I can make it in real estate. I just have to pass a freaking exam. And just a quick side note, for all my DACA recipients out there, if you have DACA, at least here in Utah, you can become a realtor. Because the only thing you need is you get your schooling done, and you find out each state has a required amount of hours. But then once you have that, you're going to go take an exam or two, the state and the national. And ya cuando pasas los exámenes, at least here in Utah, you go to the division, the Utah Real Estate Division Department. You fill out an application because you're in a way working for the state. Mm. And and that's where they're going to ask you for, for your residence or, you know, your social security. Y es todo lo que piden. And at least with my brokerage where I'm working at, Century 21, very very similar thing. If you have DACA, you know, you have your work permit, your social, that gets you in. So to anybody out there who's thinking about becoming a loan officer or just getting into real estate in the real estate industry, agent, loan officer, title, don't, don't feel afraid about the application process because you're going to be fine. It's, it's just like another job. Um... But to answer your question, Chris, you know, the biggest thing that I've come across is there's sensitive information, but I don't really deal with much of that because I'm a real estate agent. Mm. The one who deals with that, those conversations, is the lender. The lender is, is the one who's going to ask for your social security to check your credit score. And that's where a lot of, that's where I've noticed a lot of my clients are like kind of reserved, right? If they're Latino, um, and they're meeting with the lender for the first time, they're gonna be a little bit thrown back. But let me tell you the really the thing that that I think gives me an edge. Um, and it's just been a blessing for me and a blessing for others. I am an immigrant. I will always be an immigrant. I've always been a dreamer and I've always held true to that story. So whenever it is that I, whenever I come across La Raza and I'm talking to them on the phone or when I'm prospecting leads and talking to them, and I say that because on the team I'm on, I was a, their first Latino agent, right? They didn't know anything about the Latino community. 
until one day I was like, hey, what's going on with all the Latino names that sign up? Who's calling them? Who's prospecting them? My broker was like, oh, I mean, there's a few gringuitos who speak Spanish, but they don't really care to call them. That's when I was like, let me take over that. Like, give me my hand there. I will call them. I will figure it out. Yeah. And that's when my like the, my business has, has changed forever more. But it's because I'm able to connect with my people, right? When I'm talking to, when I call them, even if it's the first time, you know, start learning some language, and then I'm finding out where they're from, and then they know. And as we talk more about ownership, you can hear it in their voice, right? When they're like, "Okay, I think I can count. Puedo confiar en este muchacho." They're like, "Oiga, es que es que no tengo papeles." Como, ¿Cómo lo hacemos ahí? Y esa es la pregunta del millón that everyone asks, right? If I don't have papeles, how do I go about this? And so in that conversation, I don't I don't go too much into the legality of things or asking them for their social security because I'm not the lender. Mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm the one who inspires hope for them and just relies back the information that I know right now that is available to the Latino community. And that is... If you have an IT number, you can purchase a home, but the requirements are a little bit stricter. They're going to ask you to put 20% down, and your interest rate is going to be a little bit higher. That's like your plan, plan, plan C, right? Now, ever since we got the Biden administration back, DACA is back, back to being able to purchase homes. Towards the end of the Trump administration, he actually took that away. There might have been many of you who might be listening who were going to buy a home and then Trump cancels that and now DACA can't buy homes anymore. Luckily, that went away. Biden administration returned that. And so now people who can buy a home are those who are citizens, residents, or of course, if you have DACA. And I'm able to connect to all of those communities wherever they're at and then be like, hey, I got you. I understand you. I, I am an immigrant. I, I know what you're going through. If you're DACA, I, I know what DACA is like. I went through that as well. And the best part is when I'm like, I have a lender who happens to be DACA, who happens to be my best friend who immigrated from Chile and I immigrated from Mexico. We've been homies since since our childhood. I have someone else who, who is going to be your lender who's going to understand you too. That is when an impact is made and they're like, wow. Like, there's two DACA, there's like a theme of DACA people, the agent, the realtor, <laughs> yeah. and the lender, who understand me, who are immigrants, who their parents are immigrants, and now we're able to reach out to a community where we come across people who are in that boat, we simply just share a story, and we're like, hey, you don't have to be afraid to talk about that here, you know? We can relate. Yeah. At a personal level, and then people like ever that después de eso la gente sabe, and then we get them going. Well, and I think there's something very impactful from that. I mean, it's a beautiful thing when you when you can have people from all sorts of different backgrounds coming together to fulfill you know the same and and the the same purpose, right? And I think what's really beautiful about you know the things that you're doing with with your team is the fact that you're providing not only hope for people but an avenue of reaching their goal because for a lot of people especially like the undocumented community one of the struggles that we have is that we're always mobile 
right? We're always having to balance every either every year or every couple of years from place to place. And it could be because, you know, they raise our rent and now we can't afford it. Or it could be because, you know, we're renting a basement and now the people that own the house are selling it. And so now we got to find something else. So when you're undocumented, you're always mobile. You're always having to figure out where you're going to live. Unless, of course, you have a home. But for the vast majority of, like, you know, my listeners and, and their families, like, they're trying to figure out how can I get into a home? How can I make my situation more permanent? You know, and, and what is the process? And I think the fact that, you know, at least in Utah, there is hope with people like you who are DACA recipients, immigrants, and understand just the complexities of what it's like to look differently than most of your, you know, uh, peers, but still aspire for the same goal. And, you know, I would have to say that the American dream is still very much alive, the, the dream of home ownership is something that everybody, especially the younger generation now aspires to, is the fact that how can I get into a home? And so that kind of brings up a question that I was going to ask you. So, you know, for those DACA recipients, uh, undocumented immigrants and so forth, that want to buy a home, what is the process, first off, and then what do you recommend people do first? That's a great question. The, the process is as follows. And it's, it's pretty general, but I'm going to give you the Utah process. Um, your first step is to meet with a lender. You're going to want to meet with a lender who's going to pre-qualify you. Okay? That's, that's the first step because we want to know how much your purchase power is. Right? We can't go and show you homes and emocionarte and then find out <laughs> you don't qualify for that house. So step one, meet with a lender, get pre-qualified. What things does the lender look for or what is he going to ask? He's going to check your credit score. He's going to want two years of tax returns to show your annual income. If you're working a, you know, a, a W-2 job, he's going to ask you for your two most recent pay stubs. He's also going to ask you for your last two months of bank statements. And um, if you have your own business, if you're a 1099 like myself, independent contractor, he's going to ask for your two years of tax returns. That's how we prove how much we're making, how much your business is making annually. These are the biggest things that he's going to ask for an, uh, an ID, right? So that could be your driver's license, your state ID. And what he does is he takes all this information. You know, the, the lender calls your employer to verify that you're working. And based off of the numbers and your credit score, your debts, your income, they're able to say, hey, this is what you qualify for. And within that, depending on where you're at, there's different programs available to you. You could, you could put 5 5 to 20% down and get a conventional loan. In Utah, we have the FHA loan program, which is, you know, first-time homebuyer assistance. It helps you buy a house here in Utah with 0% down. Um, there's obviously the cash method, and then there's the ITIN way where you have to have 20% down. And so as long as you have those requirements that the lender needs, I mean, I can't tell you how many families I've helped, and it's been so beautiful where their kids have DACA. They, they're, the, they're the ones who are making money in terms of legal status, right? And we've qualified the, the kid or the sisters to buy the home for the parents. Yeah. You know, that's... Happened many times before. And I think that's a really good point to bring up because one of the, so 
in a previous episode, I had talked about the realities of the current immigration situation for undocumented people. And it ties into kind of what you just said. But what I said in my in my episode was, you know, if there was like they, they say that there's what between 11 and 15 undocumented a million undocumented immigrants in the United States, give or take. Um, and what's interesting as well is when you consider that the fact that these statistics, these variables were pretty much carryovers from the 90s and into the early 2000s. Right. So we ha we're talking about millions of individuals who are still living in our communities undocumented. And what I had brought up in a previous episode was the fact that, like, let's say today that, you know, I'll, I'll use kind of, uh, uh, you know, my family as an example. When my parents came, you know, they were in their early 20s, you know, in the, in the early 90s. Well, we're talking, you know, 30 years has passed now. So my parents are now in their 50s. And how many millions of undocumented individuals are kind of now entering their 50s and 60s you know especially with their hope that one day that another amnesty will pass and so one of the things i had brought up was the fact that if there's an amnesty today and an immigrant and and they could get their citizenship tomorrow the realities of them getting into a home are still challenging because are they going to get into a 15-year home loan or a 30-year home loan well, if they're in their 50s, that means they're going to pay off their home in their 80s. And I don't know what 80-year-old is busting their butt as, you know, you know, to, to be able to pay off a home. And so the fact that, you know, you're able to find opportunities still utilizing the current legal framework that enables, you know, DACA recipients to get into a home to help provide for their families, specifically their parents who probably can't buy a home on their own, that's a beautiful thing. And it's and it's even more beautiful when you think about the fact that like, like as a family, it'll work and it'll and, and you'll succeed as a family, and so to be able to provide that perspective and that understanding, I think is just great. So I think the fact that you guys are working on that, you guys are doing that at least in the community, uh, in in Utah, I think that's a wonderful thing. And I hope that you know those listening to this podcast, wherever they may be. You know, can consider that there are individuals like Y and you know his colleagues who do have similar backgrounds, who do understand how to get them into homes, and not only that, but also help take care of their families and put them in a situation that's best for the success of the of the family unit. And so, I actually wanted to pivot that a little bit and ask a question. So, when people get into their first home, let's say they followed all of the tips that you you suggested and they get into their fir first home, what should people do? To protect their investment now that they've gotten into their first home i would say um, there's a few things that you can do um, one is set up a trust fund account that's probably the biggest one that a lot of people don't know of um, here's what happens let's say a family purchases a home y, y los papás son los que están en el título. if those parents pass away and no one else is on that title then the state will take that home. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't belong to anyone else. And so, someone. Most people will say, "Hey, you should put everybody on title. That way, if something happens, you know, I están los hijos." And you could do that as well. But a trust fund account is just something that's more secure. It's going to protect the investment. It's 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 going to skip the whole. Um, legal process that you're going to have to go through the state. When you have a trust fund account, you prove it and then it's 
you know, whoever passed away, as long as the people on that trust fund account are there, they claim it without having to go through any legalities with the state of Utah or whatever state that you're at. That's the biggest way. And I mean, the other thing is to just protect your home, right? A lot of people purchase homes y luego no las cuidan. Yeah. <laughs> you got to protect your investment because values are going up. Values are going up, guys. It's not something that, that any of us want, but it's something that is inevitably happening. And that's why there's a rush throughout the whole nation in, in demand for homeownership. And I have a really cool stat to share with you guys. NARE is a, is a national organization for, for Hispanic real estate professionals. It's National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. That's what NARE stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, there's NAR, which is National Association of Realtors, but then there's NARE for all the Latinos in the nation who are in this industry. And last year, 2021, the, the statistic came out that 50% of homeownership last year, 50% were Latinos. Wow. 50%. Guys, That's crazy. 50% of homeownership <clears throat> of all the purchases made last year were from the Latino community. That's amazing. And one says, um, no es imposible. The dream is very much alive. And that statistic only keeps going up. Yeah. In Utah, the Hispanic, you know, the population is only going to get bigger, which means that percentage nationwide in each state is only going to get bigger. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing to see that Latinos are out there grinding, making it happen, figuring out a way to, to secure part of the American dream, which is home ownership. When I think a big part of that is realizing that, you know, we there's there's new ways of making money and there's new ways of protecting the money that you made right and as an undocumented person it's so hard to have that financial vision of protecting your money and your assets and your investments when you're living paycheck to paycheck dia al dia right when you barely have enough to put food on the table but one of the one of the hopes that i that that i really want this podcast to do is to provide additional resources of support for for the listeners because the reality is, you know, there are others who have more knowledge and who have more experience and have a different understanding on how to how to succeed in life. And as it pertains to like the DACA situation, like people like you, you have a, a different perspective on how to get into a home where maybe somebody because here's the other issue with like the the Hispanic community just in general, we tend to listen to the wrong people. Right. We tend to be like, oh, sabes que mi cuñada me dijo. And then they start telling them something that's not even true or not even real as to like how you can do something. And then they start to believe that. And then the reality could be totally different. So one of the things that I again, I'm really hoping this podcast does is change the conversation. Like the fact that that statistic shows that we are getting into homes despite, you know, the craziness of the real estate across the country. We're getting it done. We're getting into homes. And that, I think, speaks to the power of our community and the, the, the leaders that are helping drive that those statistics forward. So, you know, why you, you definitely are doing your part in Utah. I know I was definitely a benefit from that in terms of you and you helped me get into my own home. So uh, I totally get why, you know, we're, we're getting up there in terms of home ownership. And one of the last questions that I wanted to ask kind of 
is kind of along those same lines of like what recommendations or suggestions do you do you have for other dreamers who aspire to become a real estate agent or to just even get into their first home? Biggest thing I can tell you is to act. Don't wait anymore. Don't don't put it off. Um, if you want to get into real estate, Google right away. You know, or go to a real estate brokerage. The thing is, everyone has two or three realtors in their pocket within their sphere of circle. That's the reality, right? Everyone has two to three people within their sphere of circle that they know that are in real estate. Um, and and here's what I always tell people. If I wanted to go to New Jersey and learn about New Jersey, I, I, I'm not going to go to someone from Texas to talk to me about New Jersey. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to go to you and be like, dude, what do you recommend here? You're, you're a local here. Que me recomiendas, right? Right. Or si quieres visitar a Mexico, you want to go to a Mexican, and, and if you're going to Ciudad Mexico, then you want to go to someone who's familiar with Ciudad Mexico, that can be like, hey, es lo que vas a hacer, right? You're not going to go to un tongano or someone who's Asian that knows nothing about Mexico City. And so you want to go to the resources and, and the thing is, we're human, y no somos mensos. You can tell when someone has bad energy, and they, they're just interested in themselves. But you can also know immediately when you're talking to a really good, genuine person. You will feel their vibes, you will feel the energy, and these are the people that you need to seek out, and you need to seek out the best in your area. All right? Seek out the best in your area. Let me give you an example. When I joined real estate, uh, and I'm still on the team, but I joined a team, and I, I happened to join the best team in Utah. And why did I do that? Because I wanted to become one of the best. I wanted to learn exactly what are the best doing. Um, obviously, within that team now, opportunities have, have flourished. Ahora, lo que estoy haciendo al lado de real estate and helping people get into homeownerships I'm finding other Latinos in the community who want to become realtors, and I'm having them join our team, and we're teaching them the ropes to have a successful business and to change their life in every aspect. And um, that that has come from picking the best mentor, joining the best team. Last year, we helped over 390 families, and we officially became the number one team in the nation for Century 21. And... Um, it's, we're, we're going to Vegas in March to claim that award, but there's something beautiful happening within our team where, you know, I had one of my best friends, Edgar, come join the team. And last year, it was his first year, and it changed his life financially and also in, in a way where he's fulfilled by helping out La Raza, right? And now Felix has just joined our team, and now so many people are coming. So... Go, go find the best and don't be afraid to ask them questions because the thing is, los que son buenos and they're, and they're, they're like the best, they're always willing to give back. You are going to come across that. People really, people who really are up there, they like to serve. They like to give back. That would be my advice. Act and by acting, go find the best in your area. Find out who the best Latino realtor is. Um, see for yourself if they are or not, look at their fruits, and then find out what the process is. If you, if you happen to be in Utah listening, well then come to me. 
<laughs> me and I can help you. Or I can point you out if you wanted to become a lender. I think it'd be really good for you to talk to Felix Vivanco. That's my lender who I work with. And I think you could have him on your show one of these days too to kind of just get his perspective on lending, hear his story. And for those of you who are interested in lending, you can hear his DACA story as well. Yeah. Well, why? Uh, I will definitely take you up on that. One of my next podcast uh, invitations is with a gal who is a financial advisor, nice. uh, and she hope she helps you know the Latino undocumented community talk about things like retirement, four hundred one ks, you know HSA investment that you know these types of things that we just when you're undocumented you don't really talk about these things you know so I think it's important to add a voice to the very the, the the very you know the many things that that plague our, our community but I wanted to kind of uh, take this last uh, this last little part of our of our conversation together to where can people reach you so I know I a significant portion of my listening listeners are in Utah how can they reach you and for those that aren't in Utah how, how can they get a hold of you if they have any other questions you guys um you guys can always call me or text me. My cell phone number is 801-931-9362. You can always send me an email to the letter Y, realty21 at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on social media. On Facebook, um, you'll find me under Yarib Alais. Yarib is spelled Y-A-R-H-T-I-B space Alais, A-L-I. S or my Instagram is at Yadi, Y-A-R-H-T-I-B. Wonderful. Well, I hope many, many of my listeners reach out to you because you definitely provided a treasure trove of knowledge uh, on this conversation and why, again, you, you're, you're just a great leader in our community and just in general. Thank you so much for doing what you do and providing that, that avenue of support for our community. And um, for those listening, those, those, um, those listeners, like I said, I have some other individuals, a financial advisor, and you know maybe I might bring on wise friend Edgar to talk about like the lending side of getting into a home and how you know being undocumented, being a dreamer, uh, has helped him to kind of have a unique perspective. So if there's enough interest from my listeners, I'll I'll get that set up, and we might have Y join us on that call too if he's up for it. But if not, once again, why you are just a, a, a great friend. Thank you so much for sharing your story and helping our well, listeners figure out how to get into a home. Thanks for having this. It's been an honor. Um, I, this is exactly what we need to be doing, guys. Just find what it is that you, you're meant to do. Follow your heart. Don't be afraid. I love, Chris, that you're doing this and putting these stories together. It's a beautiful thing, and that's what this is about. Hopefully everyone who's listening just gets that juice of, of motivation, whatever it is that you need to, to pursue your American dream. And on that note, I'll just end it by saying thank you everybody for listening on this podcast and we'll catch you on the next one.